Genesis chapter 2. I also want to remind us this Sunday night we're having a singing and testimony service. Don't miss that. It's going to be a blessing. Uh, God's going to use it in our lives and got some great things lined up and uh, it's going to be awesome. I encourage you to come to that. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, you know one thing I love doing um, as we look at songs, whether they're old or new, I love singing scripture. And boy, the song we just sang had a lot of scripture within it. And um, boy, what a blessing. What a blessing the music has been. Uh, Let's pray tonight, and then we're going to get into Genesis chapter number 2. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, to sing these songs of worship, God, because you're worthy. Um, God, I just thank you for music. I thank you, God, that we can use it to glorify you. Uh, Father, I thank you for each family represented here tonight. God, I pray your blessings on them. God, you know what, uh, what they're facing. You know the, the, the struggles in life. You know the victories, God, that we praise you for that's taken place in their life. And God, um, tonight I just pray that as we um, open your word that we would again be challenged and spoken to this evening. And so, God, we thank you for the opportunity. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter number 2 uh, tonight. You know, I like hearing what kids say, and there were some children interviewed uh, and asked a few questions about marriage, and, and we'll share a couple of these with you. Uh, the question was asked, what exactly is marriage? And uh, Eric said, uh, marriage is when you get to keep your girl and don't have to give her back. Um, that's good. I like that. Uh, another one was, how does a person decide whom to marry? Here's Callie. She's nine years old. She said, you flip a nickel. And heads means you stay with him, and tails means you try the next one. Um, Carolyn, age eight, said this. She said, my mother says to look for a kind man, and that's what, that's what I'll do. I'll find somebody who's kind of tall and kind of handsome. <laughs> what is the proper age to get married? Bert, he's five years old. He said, once I'm done with kindergarten, I'm going to find me a wife. <laughs> is it better to be single or married? Here's Anita's answer. She's age nine. It's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need somebody to clean up after them. Hearing from kids, some funny little answers. But what do you think is the definition of marriage? You know, we seek to redefine, the world seeks to redefine the marriage relationship. Uh, I mean, for crying out loud, today they're trying to redefine everything. I mean, they can't even tell you the definition of a woman. We know that was all over the news. But the truth is, uh, marriage has never found its worth uh, or definition from any society or culture because marriage is the exclusive design of God's personal genius. It's withstood the test of time, and it's going to continue to endure Uh, as a living memorial, if you will, uh, to God's gracious provision for His creatures, uh, and it will remain an institution created in His perfect wisdom and established by the infinite power of God. How many understand that it is God who orchestrated the marriage relationship? And He is the one alone who gets to define it. Someone said it like this. I, I, like, I like this. Marriage is rooted in creation. It's reiterated throughout Scripture, repeated by Jesus Himself, representative of the love of Jesus for His church and reflective 
of the gospel. How important is marriage? Well, the Bible begins with marriage in Genesis chapter 2, and we know that it ends in marriage. We see in uh, we see that it says uh, in Revelations two or nineteen seven and eight. It points to a future wedding filled with worship. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And we also remember the life of Christ. The the Bible begins with the wedding, it ends with the wedding, but we also remember the life of Christ. The second Adam, who performed his first miracle at at a wedding. At a wedding. We see marriage sprinkled throughout Scripture. And here's the point of all of everything I just said, is marriage matters to God. Marriage matters to God. And so shouldn't it matter to us? The divorce rate is down, uh, but the marriage rate is at the lowest point in 150 years. You realize barely half of U.S. adults are married, and 40%, now listen to this, 40% believe that the marriage relationship has become an obsolete institution. This is the 4 in ten's view of the marriage relationship. And so tonight, the goal is for all of us to be reminded of the beauty of of the marriage relationship that God created. You know, in developing what we're doing through Genesis is developing a biblical worldview. And if we're going to have the proper biblical worldview, then we got to understand the marriage relationship, its importance to God and where it came from. Because if not, you're going to be really confused by the culture today. So let's look at Genesis 2 and begin at verse 18, and we're going to see the origin of the marriage relationship, as I've just titled the thoughts tonight, Marriage Matters. It says this in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. And, but for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Then, man, then the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall call, be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I want us to notice a few things tonight about our text. The first thing is this. We notice the dilemma. We see there's a dilemma from the outset of our text. After God created everything, it says... Uh, We know it says, as we've studied creation, he saw that it was good. And after day six, he used the the term very good. He was uh, pleased with all that he had been able to create and satisfied. And now we see for the first time in Scripture that something is not good. And what was that? Adam was alone. This was God's declaration. He saw Adam's need. 
God saw his need, and we know that God begins working and orchestrating to create the necessary solution. I want you to notice the plan that God had here, the plan. Look at verse 18. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. But here's what he said. I will make him a helper suitable to him. Now, I'll stop right here and say this. We need to make sure that this is clear. Marriage is what God says it is. Not the state, not the media, not politicians, not your employer. God is who created it and who defines it. We have to be strong, be convicted, be firm in that belief from the Word of God. We have to stand on that truth. If you love God and you love the Bible, you'll stand on that truth, that God created it, designed it, and defined it. The word helper. Here's God's plan as he begins to institute marriage. He says, I'm going to give a helper. The word helper is not a demeaning term, but it refers to a helper answering to him a complement, a completer, a corresponding partner. You see, a helper supplies what is lacking in another person. One who is like but opposite to him. One who, maybe the little girl didn't realize she had, you know, sometimes guys have a hard time cleaning up after themselves. This little girl had noticed that. So she identified, I need to clean up after him. You know what I'm saying? And so it's opposite to him. In Psalms 46.1, this word is used of God himself. God is our refuge and strength. Watch, an ever-present help in trouble. The helper is a perfect fit for Adam. Literally means like what is in front of him. Eve will be Adam's corresponding counterpart and perfect partner. She was like the missing piece of a puzzle that was now completed. God made Eve to be a perfect fit physically, emotionally, socially and spiritually. God proactively provided a companion to solve Adam's uh, uh, isolation, his loneliness as one who could work beside him on the task that God had entrusted to him. Eve was going to be his helper. She was that helper suitable for him. You see the plan, but I want you also to notice the process. Now Now look at the turn the scripture makes here. You would think that after saying this, that I will make a helper suitable to him, the next verse might say something like, so God created Eve. That's not what it says. Instead of immediately matching Adam to uh, Eve, God assigns Adam a huge zoology project. You see that? He's got a huge project here. God... Uh, sees the need for Adam to have a helper. But church, he delays, he delays this plan until Adam sees the need for himself. Have you often noticed how God makes us wait on things? How God causes us to be, to be patient. He makes us wait so we'll appreciate what it is that he wants to give us. And I don't know, some of you may have been waiting a long time for something to take place, something you've been talking to God about for a long time. And maybe you're growing impatient. But hold on to this truth. God makes us wait 
because He's doing something wonderful. He makes us wait because He's doing something wonderful. Verses 19 and 20 tell us that Adam is told to give names to all of the animals that God had created. It's interesting how God named everything on the first three days, but held off on naming the animals because He wanted Adam to do it. And you notice that there's no mention of evolution here in the Bible. Adam never doubts God as the perfect creator, as the intelligent designer. The Bible tells us now of the Lord, now of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast. The word formed means design, means shaped, means fashion. And then the Bible tells us that God brought each one of them to Adam. Why did God, I wrote this question down, why did God want Adam and Adam to name the animals? Why did He give them this task? You know, maybe it was God's way of putting Adam through some premarital counseling. Maybe it's His way of teaching him some lesson and I, lessons. And I believe there's a couple of things Adam would have learned in this process. The first thing he would have learned is how to lead. God called Adam to be a leader. Since the ability to name is an action of leadership, as stated in Genesis 1.28, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds, and of the, of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. By naming the animals, it gave him a sense of order as he put them into different categories. So maybe he learned how to lead doing this. Maybe he learned how to love. Another purpose of this was to train Adam to be a proper lover, someone who knew how to love. As Adam surveyed the animals, I mean, th think about this. As God's bringing all the animals to Adam, Adam was an intelligent being, God's most intelligent being. And so Adam had to have kind of picked up on, all right, there's two of them. It's a guy, it's a girl. You know, and, and he starts naming the animals, and they're coming to him, and he's naming them. And it kind of, maybe it clicks with him. They all have somebody, but I don't have anybody. Maybe he recognizes this as he's naming the animals. There was a great need that Adam recognized in his own life, to be sure. We've seen the dilemma. Adam was alone. We've seen the plan and the process. God sees this need in Adam's life and begins the process of meeting this great need that Adam has for a wife. I want you to notice number two tonight, the design. Notice the design. Look at verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Verse 23. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of Man. Again, we see here in, in our text how God takes the initiative. This time, giving Adam some divine anesthesia. He puts him to sleep so he can surgically remove a rib. You know, when I had knee surgery a few years ago, there was a separate anesthesiologist and a separate surgeon in the operating room with me, but here God takes on both roles. 
He's the anesthesiologist and he's the physician here. Notice a couple of things about God's design. First thing is this, Eve is the perfect complement to Adam. Eve is the perfect complement to Adam. The word for made is to build or to construct. As a sculptor, God carefully shaped Eve into someone who perfectly matched Adam. Adam was formed while Eve was, listen, made. Adam was formed while Eve was made. Eve was literally made for Adam. I like how the commentator Matthew Henry put it. He said she was not taken from Adam's head that she should rule over him, nor from his feet that she should be trampled on by him, but she was taken from his side that she might be his equal from under his arm that she might be protected by him near his heart that he might cherish and love her. Eve was fashioned from Adam to be not to be identical, but to be complementary. They were similar, but not the same. She was made from his rib to show that she was a part of him, not a lower creation. She was not a lower creation than Adam. We could say it like this. Man was only half of God's plan for human life, and woman was the glory and the crown of God's creation. The narrative makes clear that Adam and Eve are stronger together than they ever could be apart. She was the perfect complement to Adam. Verse 22 tells us that God brought her to the man. Now you read that, my mind goes to Amanda's daddy walking her down the aisle to me when we got married on December the 20th of 2003. Nailed it. Amen. I got in trouble right there, guys. Nah. My mind went to her dad when he, when he brought her to me. Imagine God bringing this perfect compliment, this need he's meeting in Adam's life for a wife, and he brings Eve to Adam, a beautiful picture to me. And from all of this, we learn that God designed the human heart for love and companionship. Look, the only thing, now listen to this, the only thing that man, Adam, brought with him out of the garden was marriage. God created a companion for Adam from his own flesh to meet the needs of his hungry heart. She was the perfect complement. But notice this, Eve was the profound completion of Adam. She was the profound completion of Adam. The original Hebrew helps us see that Adam, was, he was pretty pumped up when he woke up. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was pretty excited when he woke up from this surgery he has had. The phrase that we see in, in verse, uh, see, verse 23, this is now, means something like this. Here now, this is it. At last, all right, this one. That's what Adam was saying. Now he knows he's not alone. Isolation, loneliness in his life has given way to this relationship, partnership, and completion. The phrase, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man is an exciting expression of enthusiastic delight at what God has done for him. He has now somebody 
in Eve, who perfectly corresponds to him, and he is elated. He is excited at what he sees. The word bone means of the same substance, and the word flesh refers to his body. She was like him, and yet she was different because she was taken out of him. See, this is the world's, if you will, you can call it this, maybe the the first love song we see. It was the first utterance from a human being before sin entered the world. Instead of complaining about his wife, he complimented her lavishly. What would change, church, in our relationships within the home for those of us that are married if we lavish our spouse with compliments before criticism? Adam complimented his wife lavishly. I believe men and women alike could learn from what we see Adam doing here in our text. You know, some, you know, it's difficult for us to see, you know, maybe. But, you know, this is a... It's difficult to see for us because this is a Hebrew pun. The name Adam referred to mankind. But now, now, now listen to this. Adam is not called uh, a man until there's a female counterpart. In Hebrew, Adam changes to Ish. When the woman is brought to him and she is called Isha, which means to be tender because she was taken out of Ish, out of man. Adam is saying something like this. This is my counterpart and my companion. She will help me make the world into a garden. He perfectly, he loved this perfect creation that God had made for him. He was no longer lonely. Now you could say it like this. We could say that Isha has her origin in Ish. Man and woman find themselves in the reflection of the other. Now the question, why wasn't Eve made from dust? Why wasn't Eve made from dust like Adam was? I think it was to show Adam that she was part of him. Equal to him and not a lower creation. Both are made in the image of God. Husbands and wives are the same, yet different. We can be united even while not being uniformly the same. We have equal value, but different roles. This is God's design. This is his plan. I want you to notice number three, the desire. We see the desire in our text, look at what the desire is. Verse 24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife are both naked and not ashamed. We see that one desire, I want you to notice, number one, we see in verse 24, the first part, that one desire is separation. A man shall leave his father and his mother shall leave his father and his mother. There's a separation from mom and dad that has to take place. Is what the Bible is telling us, what God's design is and desire. I think it's true there's been many parents who've struggled to let go that have hindered the marriage of their son and daughter. This is important for the learning process. Separation is important for the learning process of the newlyweds and the establishment of their own family. 
in marriage, your mom and dad are no longer responsible for you. And you are now responsible for the individual that God has led you to marry. Now, I, wanna, I, I wrote this note down because I like mentioning this when we talk about this, but the responsibility to honor one's parents, now listen, does not cease with leaving and the union of marriage. Honoring one's parents is a lifetime responsibility. I give honor to my mom and dad. But this does, marriage represents the inauguration, if you will, of a new and a primary responsibility. Listen to me, outside of Jesus, your spouse ought to be the most important person in your life. Outside of Christ, they ought to be the most important person in your life. Not your mom, not your dad, not even your kids. Not even your kids. Uh, too many parents put their kids before their marriage. How many understand? Uh, you know, look, mar- kids like uh, security. Kids like security in, in the home. And when they see a mom and dad that loves each other and actually sets aside time to spend with one another away from them, you know, they may throw a fit, they might cry, they might do some things, but it actually strengthens their bond with you, seeing that you love one another. Kids need that kind of security. Your spouse outside of Jesus is the most important, should be the most important person in your life is what we're learning tonight in Genesis. Separation, but the second thing is this, permanence. Permanence. Look at verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and watch, and be joined to his wife. The word joined, or it might be translated cleave in your Bible, it carries the idea of a permanent or enduring union, so divorce is not considered. Very simply, it's a commitment for better or worse in sickness and in health, for richer or poor, until death do us part. It is the same Hebrew word used in Deuteronomy 10.20 that says, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve Him and cling to Him. And cling to him. It's interesting that this Hebrew word translated joined or cleave also means to follow hard after. It's the idea of pursuit. You can mark it down. When we fail, listen, when we fail to pursue God together, when we fail to seek God together in the marriage relationship, when we fail to seek and pursue one another in the marriage relationship, it only leads to marital difficulty. It only leads to tension in the home. The leading causes of divorce, according to experts, are infidelity, money, and weight gain. I found that, you know, weight gain. How selfish can we be? That's ridiculous. I disagree with all the the secular stats on what the leading cause of divorce is. The leading cause of divorce is failure to pursue God. I've never seen a couple that wasn't in love with one another that love Jesus with everything they got. Couples that I know that love God, that seek God, that serve God, they're in love. They're in love. You see, the closer we get to God, the closer we get to one another. Permanence. That's God's design. Permanence for the marriage relationship. The third thing is this, oneness. Oneness, look at verse 24, the last part. 
and be joined to his wife, and watch, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh speaks of complete unity of parts making the whole. An example, one cluster, many grapes. One God, three persons. So the marital union was complete and whole with Adam and Eve, two people. Completed the marriage union. This also, this oneness that the Bible talks about here, they will be one flesh, also implies their sexual completeness. One man and one woman, they constitute a pair to reproduce, to fulfill one another sexually. And look, the one, the one flesh, think about this, is primarily seen in the child born of that marriage. The one perfect result of the union of the man and the woman. I tell Amanda sometimes, like, our kids are a symbol of our love. They're a symbol of our oneness that God has created. Look, permanent monogamy was, and listen to me, was and continues to be God's desire and law for marriage. One man, one woman, one lifetime. That is God's desire. How many understand tonight, I thank God for forgiveness of sin that takes place because I, like you, am a sinner. And we make difficult and poor choices. Hey, and I'm thankful I could just stop right here and preach a minute. I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus that covers all sin. And we shouldn't hold shame or guilt over anybody that's messed up in the past because of the relationships they have had. If they're a Christian, we should be encouraging them and saying, your sin's under the blood. You've been washed clean. God no longer holds it against you, and neither do I. Somebody say amen. And encourage that individual to live for God right now. To live purely. To get back to God's design. And that's where they find their fulfillment. I want you to notice number four, the, the delight. We're almost finished, the delight. Marriage is a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. Look, I believe me, we understand issues in marriage. I know you don't. You and Amanda never argue. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And I lose every time. I lose every time. Just kidding. We, we disagree. We have to work things out. There's tension in the home sometimes. You know, and we have to talk through things where we don't get along. We know what marriage difficulties is like. In our family, our extended family, we have seen things wreck relationships. But, I, I, you know, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be like that. And, and, I, and as I read Genesis 2, and as I look at what God did and how beautiful it is, our relationships don't have to be like that. They can be delightful. We can experience delight. I really believe that our marriages, our homes, our families can be a little piece of heaven on this side of eternity if we will just do things the way God wanted it to be done. I really believe that. We're not perfect at it. We're, we're working on things. I told Amanda something earlier today, a regret that I'm living with. That's a dad that God used today to convict me in the funeral service I was a part of. Hearing the testimony of Miss, Miss Lily, and I, I called her Meemaw. That's what our kids called her. And boy, I, you know, good night. And I thank the Lord for conviction. Because I still got kids in the home. There's some things I can change now. So I, look, I, I know I'm, we're not doing things perfectly. I, I'm not trying to portray that. There's things I'm working on and changing because I want, I want it to be a delight. My house to be a delight. My marriage to be a delight. 
And so there's many blessings of the marriage relationship that I want to share with us that helps us understand it's a delight. What are they? I'm just going to go through these quickly. I'm not going to expound procreation. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful be, and multiply and replenish the earth and, sub, and fill the earth and subdue it. Malachi 2.15 says, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking godly offspring? Procreation. I thank God for my kids. I thank God for our children and our church. Somebody say amen. Kids are a wonderful delight of the marriage relationship. Pleasure. Genesis 2.24, and they shall become one flesh. Listen to what a husband, now listen to this. Listen to what a husband says about his wife in Song of Solomon 1.15. Behold, you are beautiful. My love, behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. When the wife writes about her husband, she breaks out into poetry and she says this in Song of Solomon 2.16. My beloved is mine and I am his. I am here. Look, these things are in the Bible. You go read Song of Solomon. I'll go read it together. I'm telling you some good things might happen. It's a wonderful book in the Old Testament we don't spend enough time in. Somebody say amen. Look, I bet if I preached a series through Song of Solomon, nobody would show up. Nobody would show up. Y'all would be blushing the whole time, hearing all this mushy-gushy language. Get into it. Read it. Hey, look, how many understand the marriage? There's a lot of pleasure in marriage that we need to enjoy. Delight. It's a delight. The third thing is partnership. We've, we've expounded on this tonight. I will make a helper fit for him. Malachi 2.14, she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Partnership. How about purity? Hey, Gary Thomas wrote this. What if God designed marriage, listen, to make us holy more than happy? I think that's a good thought. 1 Corinthians 7, 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion, Paul said. Purity. How about this? Number five, why is marriage a delight? It's a picture of Christ's love. God intends the marriage relationship to reflect the love of Jesus to the world. In Ephesians 5, what did, Jesus, what did Paul compare Jesus' relationship with the church to a marriage? He said, husbands, love your wives as Christ, what? Love the church. And gave himself for her. Just as Eve came from Adam's side, so too the bride of Christ, now listen to this, comes from the wound made in the side of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Why is marriage a delight? The last thing is this, marriage proclaims God's glory. Look, since marriage is from God, it is for His glory. Marriage is designed by God, defined by God to display His glory in a way that no other event or institution does or ever can. Malachi 2.15 says, Did He not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? Isaiah 43, 6 and 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Look, marriage is meant, your marriage my marriage is meant to be a platform to live out God's purposes for His glory. And so a great question. Let's go ahead and stand tonight. We're about to pray. A great question to think on tonight and maybe discuss within the home is, is my marriage bringing glory to God? Is my marriage bringing glory to God? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for your word tonight. 
I thank you for the institution of marriage. And God, it certainly, as we've seen tonight, it matters to you and it should matter to us. God, help us to put our marriage in the proper place uh, within our home. Help us to prioritize accordingly. And God, I just pray that, Lord, your spirit would be poured out in our lives. And God, we would yield control to you. Uh, within our marriages as parents, with uh, Lord, within our community as, as uh, employees and, and employers. God, I pray that you would use us in every avenue of our lives to bring glory to you. God, I, I thank you for forgiveness of sin. Uh, Lord, thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for all. And I'm thankful that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. God, I love you tonight. I thank you for your uh, message, your truth that we've looked at tonight. I'm going to ask God, Brother Eric, if he will, to close us in prayer.